0: Hello, humans. Happy new moon in Libra. Today is the day of the new moon, Wednesday the 6th. According to the various astrologers I follow, this new moon is not a very chill one. It's all about taking physical action and moving forward in a material or tactile kind of way. I always think of new moons as wonderful beginnings because that's what they are. They're the beginning of a cycle. So it's an awesome time for taking well-intentioned action or plan making or vision boarding. But it sounds like this one is especially action oriented. So I guess it's time to kick ass and take names, hopefully doing something that you sincerely care about, something that motivates you and excites you. Maybe this new moon is a little different because Mercury is still in retrograde. I know there's a bunch of other planets that are also in retrograde, or maybe it's because of a bunch of other astrological things that I can't keep track of. But guess who does know how to keep track of all the astrological things? My guest today, Carly Heath. Carly is an author, teacher, activist, and astrologer. We talk all about astrology, including layers I don't even remember learning in my witch school, like annual perceptions, zodiacal releasing, horrorary astrology, planetary charity, astrocartography, and of course, reading the charts of serial killers. It gets deep and kind of confusing. I always knew from that module of witch school I was part of a teaching order. And so we had different modules, you know, we had like crystals and Kabbalah and astrology and tarot and all all different modules throughout this over a year and a half. I was in this program and the astrology module was incredibly layered and complex. All of my classmates and I were like, what is going on? Pretty much every one of those astrology classes. But this interview with Carly made me realize that astrology is even more complex than I originally thought. So hold on to your butt. We also talk about her awesome novel called The Reckless Kind, which you can purchase wherever books are sold on November 2nd. I'm a couple chapters in, and Carly's writing is absolutely wonderful. I've been reading so many nonfiction books lately because of where this podcast leads me, so it's so refreshing to read something that's fiction, and it's just a great story so far. The Reckless Kind is a queer, historical YA novel about a wild and reckless trio who rebel against small-town tradition and are determined to live lives of their choosing. There's also some low-key woo elements in the book, like paganism and, of course, more astrology. You can pre-order The Reckless Kind from Chevalier's books and you'll get a signed copy, so look out for the link for that in the show notes for this episode. We also talk about rebelling against capitalism and the patriarchy, both strong themes in her book, past lives, disability representation, and her creepiest premonition. Quick note here, usually my episodes go out at 2 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, every Wednesday, but I've had to take care of some very pressing family matters. So I'm a little behind today, but next week we'll be back on the normal track around the holidays, Thanksgiving and Christmas. There'll probably be a couple weeks that are taken off in there, maybe two or three weeks, but I will let you know in advance about that. Consistency is super important to me. So I always want to make sure that you can count on an episode coming out every Wednesday, unless an emergency situation comes up. So that's what happened this week. Let's get into it. It's time for the woo. You know what I've noticed is that usually in the beginning of mercury retrograde, I don't know what this means, but I do better.
1: Oh, interesting. I would love to look at your chart sometimes because some people who have like mercury retrograde natally in their chart do better during mercury retrograde because it's more of what they're used to. So basically you're good one third of the year, and then you're you're kind of suffering the other two thirds of the year when Mercury is <laughs> direct and you're not used to that. Well, many people in their lives will then go through a period where in their chart, their progressed Mercury will go retrograde or go direct. So then you might experience a point in your life where suddenly that reverses and, and suddenly you might feel the effects of Mercury retrograde. There's so many astrological techniques that are amazing. And I'm
0: learning about all of them. Yeah. Well, you inspired me. I actually like cracked open my old astrology books after we had our pre-call. I was like, oh yeah, the fifth house. And then I was looking into the nodes. I had to like remind myself what a node was and the sextiles and the, what's the T one? The trine, right? <laughs> oh, 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 the trine. Trine, yeah. trine. See, I I don't retain any of this, but it really was so interesting to go back to it because when you do the full thing, like the full Mm -hmm. chart, it's so accurate. It's eerily accurate. I will be happy to give you a free Esther reading
1: sometime if you want. And I I would love that. And it's also really helpful because there's this other part where How the planets are reacting to your charts tells you about what's going on in your life. And then the whole principle of annual perfections, where every year you get a new time lord, which is a new planet, that everything that happens to that planet basically happens to you. That's really interesting. And then we can get into progressed charts, like your progressed full moon, your progressed new moon tells you about different phases in your life where you're rising to prominence and then where you're like kind of recuperating from everything. And then there's zodiacal releasing, which breaks your life up into different chapters and shows you like when you have periods where there's the most activity and the most kind of memorable moments in your life. There's so many things that are amazing. And you're like,
0: yeah, mind blown. (laughs) I would say like the average person thinks about astrology as just your sun sign, you know, it's just, and that's just the tiniest tip of the iceberg, right? For
1: many people, the sun is not the most prominent thing in your chart that affects you the most. I mean, for many people, it's the ascendant, which is the sign that was rising when you were born, because that's your first house. That's how you operate. And then the ruler of that a rising sign is kind of tells you the most about who you are and what you're doing. But then mm-hmm. another really important thing is sect, which is whether you're born during the day or the night. So people who are born during the daytime Jupiter tends to be really positive for them. Mars tends to be very negative to them. for them. So you can look at someone's chart and you can go, this area of your life that has Jupiter in it, this is the most beneficial part of your life. This area of your life that has Mars in it is the most negative part of your life. Mm-hmm. And then if, for people who are born at night, Saturn is the most malefic planet for them. And then Venus is most benefic. So you can look at their chart and go, okay, anywhere where you've seen Saturn, that's the most, that's the hardest part of their life. Anywhere you see Venus, that's the easiest, that's the best part of their life. Just little things like that are so bigger and so more important than, than your sun. whether you're a Leo or a Virgo or, you know, that tells you a little bit, but not what the rising sign is and not what your sect ruler is and all of that
0: stuff. Yeah. It feels like your sun sign is sort of one page out of a very large book of who you are. Exactly. Exactly. So the listeners know, what does that process look like? They put in their, their birth time, or they give Mm -hmm. you their birth time and their birth date. Do they need to give you any other information? And then what do you do?
1: So usually when I do my average astrological consultation, I'll get their date of birth, their time of birth, and also the location of their birth. So I can find out Oh, what was rising at the time of their birth? A program like AstroSeek or AstroGold or Astro.com will automatically calculate their chart. And then for me, the first thing I look at is what planet is the ruler of their ascendant? So I can tell them, oh, you are Scorpio rising. That means Mars is your chart ruler. And so, but then we can see what is Mars is in. Oh, okay. We can see that you are this type of person. This is the themes that kind of drive you, that really excite you and that kind of your motivation in life. And then for me, are they a day chart or are they a night chart? Then I can easily identify right away. Okay. This is the most difficult part of your life. This is the most beneficial part of your life. And then from there, we can get usually dive deep into specific questions that they have. Usually when I pull as soon as I pull up someone's chart, I instantly kind of know what their issue is. 99% of the time people come to me and they're like, you know, I'll talk about my questions when I meet with you. I'm like, that's totally cool. I pull up the chart. I'm like, I know what they're going to ask me. They're going to ask me about relationships or they're going to ask me about their career or because I can see a whole lot of activity happening in their chart about that topic. And it's pretty obvious (laughs) what the themes are.
0: And I'm sure after some time, you've done this so much that you've sort of gained some extra intuition about how to read people's charts, right? I mean, you're, you're picking up patterns, not just based on yeah. their Here, here's charts. The
1: thing. Everyone is different. Everyone has completely different problems. And uh, <laughs> <Yes>. so, <laughs> and everyone's problems are extremely specific. Yeah, I, I mean, I have noticed that people who have Venus square Neptune in their chart tend to have absolutely no clue that their partner is a terrible person. Wow. <laughs> Or, you know, they'll they'll just get extremely ideological about who they're in a relationship with and that person is not a good person and there's nothing you can do to tell them that their partner is the problematic person because Venus square Neptune people do not want to hear it. And then, you know, I personally am a 12th house sun. 12th house sun people tend to be very introverted and also very afraid that everyone hates them. And so I do get a lot of 12th house sun just people coming to me because I do a lot of astro readings for people who deal with the same sorts of chart issues I do. I'm a Libra rising, tons of Libra risings are always asking me, "Hey, can you give me an astro reading?" I just know them from either life or from people who just randomly come to me on Twitter. And then I'll pull them up. Oh, you are a Libra rising just like me. Or, oh, you know, even just Venus ruled people tend to come to me a whole lot. And I can totally talk to a lot of the Venus problems that people have because people think that Venus is the most benefic planet. Venus is the planet of beauty and the planet of money and all the and harmony on all of that stuff. Venus can fuck up your life. Am I allowed, <laughs> I'm, am I allowed to swear?
0: You are. <laughs>
1: yeah. So Venus can fuck up your life because Venus makes me at least nice to everybody. And so even if someone is Mm -hmm. treating me badly, I am still nice to them. And uh, they tend to take advantage of someone's niceness. And for a long time, I had a problem setting up boundaries and saying no to people. So I'm learning more and more how to say no. That's my exalted Saturn starting to slowly come through.
0: I must have some version of what you're talking about, because I definitely have to practice saying no to people. And Uh, people pleasing has been something that I've had to have my come to Jesus moment about multiple times, especially in high school, I'd say like early college. Yeah, Yeah, I
1: I remember we in our brief little chat beforehand, you did mention that you have a twelfth house moon. Which means that your desire to care for others can be something that leads you off course because the 12th house is the house of self-undoing. So your moon is your compassion, your your nurturing side, your caring side. And so when your moon is in the 12th house, your desire to help others can be others taking advantage of you. Um, the 12th house is also the house of hidden enemies. I have yeah. some of
0: them. Yeah. <laughs>
1: No, I'm a 12th house son. So I, I know a little bit about hidden enemies as well. Even though I'm a nice person, people you...
0: hate me sometimes. <laughs> I... don't understand? It happens. <laughs> it happens. People are weird. What would you say to people or what do you say to people who don't believe in astrology? Cause I'm sure you come across them and they're like, that's a bunch of horse shit. <laughs>
1: I can't get into arguments with people about that. Like, it's like getting into an argument about religion. I'm never going to convince someone that astrology is real. But if someone were to open themselves to it and consider going to a good astrologer, don't just base your opinion off astrology on, like, sun sign horoscopes in the newspaper or sun sign horoscopes on Instagram that come up that say, oh, you are a Virgo. That means you should... Do this, blah, blah, blah. That's baloney. But if you legit go to a real astrologer who has studied for many years and ask them something specific, I think you'll have your mind blown. And astrology doesn't just tell you about people think it's, oh, it's very psychological. Astrology doesn't just tell you about psychology, it tells you what specific things are going to happen in the future for you. It can also find a lost cat. It can find a, (laughs) I'm serious. It can tell you whether you're going to get a job or not get a job. It could tell you what sports team is going to win at the sporting event. I'll give you an example. So what I'm talking about there is something called horary astrology, which is when you ask a specific question to the stars and the astrologer who you ask that question to will pull up a chart of the moment that the question was asked and Looking at that chart, they can find the answer to your question. And so I would encourage people not to come to me for horary questions because I am not an expert on this. Go to someone who has been studying it for years because it is an art that takes years and years to learn. For instance, when I started learning it, I had a friend who lost her perfume bottle and she called me and she said, I lost my perfume bottle. I've looked everywhere. I can't find it. Can you find it for me? And I've said, okay, I'm new to this. I'll just see if I can do it. Looked at the chart. I said, okay, according to this chart, you're going to find it in three days in a vehicle near water. And she's like, that doesn't make sense. I looked through my whole car, everything, couldn't find it. And I'm like, this is what the chart says. I, like I said, I'm not good at this. I'm just learning. So see what happens. Okay. And three days later, I did call her. I'm like, did you find your perfume bottle? And she's like, oh my God. I'm in the car right now. And just as you called, I saw my phone ringing and I looked down and I saw that I had a bunch of dog fur on me. So I went and reached into my glove box while I was picking up the phone to get my lint roller. And as I reached in the glove box, I found my perfume bottle.
0: Get out.
1: And I understand why you said it would be near water. Because right below my glove box, I have my big bottle of water, my big jug of water that I always carry in my car.
0: Dang. I know. That's like one of those whoop moments.
1: <laughs> I know. And, and the, then the second time I did horary astrology, I found someone's cat. I told them, you'll find the cat in the morning, the cat will be directly across from you. And I was a few hours late. She found it at noon. I said you'll find the cat at like seven a.m. And she said she heard the cat at seven a.m. But she didn't find the cat cat till noon. And it was directly across from her house in like a little storage shed. Wow! And how do you spell that horary? Horary. So it's H-O-R-A-R-Y. Horary astrology.
0: I haven't even heard of that. See, there's so many nuances yeah. and spokes to the the general mm-hmm. astrology umbrella or the wheel, I guess. It's insane. I'd never heard of that. And I will keep that in mind if I ever lose something. Oh, I know. <laughs> I wish I had some names I could give you. But maybe in your show notes, I can give
1: you some names of some good horary astrologers. That'd be awesome. Yeah, if you lost something, great for missing Person's thing. Poor astrologers can't look at the chart unless someone connected to the missing thing asks them the question. Mm. Like, if I were to pull up a chart right now and be like, where's Brian Laundrie in the Gabby Petito case? Like, where is he? I wouldn't be able to find it because I'm not connected to that case. But if like Gabby Petito's parents came to an astrologer and said, where's Brian Laundrie? the astrologer would be able to find. Wow. It's good. Sometimes there's charts that are really difficult and it's not as clear, but sometimes you get a chart and it's like really clear and you're like, that's what's happening there.
0: I feel like law enforcement should use this. I know they've used psychics in the past, especially here in LA. There's been a number of psychics that have worked on cases and I actually interviewed somebody who did that and that was really interesting. I think that was in San Francisco, but how cool would it be to also have people checking charts, but you'd have to yeah. have the person. So if it was like a murder, they be dead. So well no, I mean you could find you could have like a parent or a child. If they go to the
1: astrologer and ask, then yeah, then it would find a body. And even if it's like, you know, the law, the police officer who is looking for the person, they can ask. They could? Okay. Yeah. They do have an investment in the situation. But just those of us who are the YouTube astrologers and like, okay, let's go find this person. It's like, you're all going to get different results because you are not connected to the case. I think the FBI must absolutely have some sort of use astrology in some way. It would just be dumb not to. I agree. But, you know, actually, I was just thinking about NASA and you would think NASA would use astrology. I've seen so many with the Challenger disaster and all their failed launches and their deaths and everything. It's like, oh, gosh, if you just had an astrologer tell you the day and time to do your launch instead Mm -hmm. of just doing it randomly, you could avoid the challenger disaster. When I was watching that documentary about the challenger disaster, I pulled up the chart. Obviously, cuz I'm like, what was happening that day? Yeah. And it's very clear. It's like, "Oh wow, if you launch launch a, a shuttle with a teacher on board, it's going to it's going to be bad. Don't do it. Don't do it that day." Yeah, it's amazing how it's all in the chart, exactly everything that went wrong. So, electional astrology is another side part of astrology where you choose dates and times to begin things based on you make a chart and you're like, okay, we're going to, we're going to choose to start this thing on this day at this time, uh, because the planets are in a position that will help facilitate that in a positive way.
0: It's intense. And it's so broad in the pre-call, you mentioned astro cartography. Yeah, astrocartography is
1: another really, really awesome thing. It shows the planet's transits on a map of the Earth when you were born. And so it can give you some indications of where would be a really beneficial place for you to live, or if you were to move to this area, what sort of experiences that you might have there. I found out through astrocartography that my Neptune line... Which is in my third house of communication goes right through Norway, and Neptune is the planet that deals with imagination, kind of creativity, tapping into the collective unconscious, and it's really visualizing things. It's the planet that like helps you see things and visualize things, and also like it kind of dissolves uh, boundaries. My book, which is coming out November second, the Reckless Kind. That is set in Scandinavia and like a country that's kind of based on Norway. And I found it really easy to, even though I've never been to Norway, I found it really easy to channel Norwegian energy and write in Norway, in Scandinavia. I see it. I'm there. I feel it. I really think probably the main reason I'm so obsessed with, I continue to write in Scandinavia, Scandinavian settings is because in my third house, which the third house rules writing, I got Neptune in there and my Neptune line goes right through
0: Norway. Amazing. That is amazing. And I I asked about this because recently somebody showed me a TikTok, obviously that's where Mm -hmm. we get all of our information now. (laughs) And it was a TikTok about astrocartography and about the location that you're in is maybe not the best place for you to live. And my partner and I were like, I don't think we're meant to live in LA. Like, I think Mm -hmm. there might be some truth to this. We should see where it would be best for us to live because LA is just kind of one obstacle after the next, you know, kind of thing. I read the first chapter of your book and it's incredible. Oh, thank you so much. You are an excellent writer. And I, I feel like I have a little bit of a knack for knowing good writing. I come from a family of people who love to write, not necessarily a lot of published authors, but It's just such a good story and it grabbed me right away and the pagan and sort of woo elements that are already laid in the foundation of that first chapter are really appealing to me as well.
1: Oh, thank you so much. It's low-key woo in that the average person reading it will probably not see the woo in it. But anyone who is into either heathen, pagan or astrology stuff will probably be like, oh, I see what she's doing there. So, yeah, some of the astrological themes that are happening is the Fugelstads are a family who are convincing themselves that they are prone to perpetual bad luck. And whenever bad things happen to them, they they say it happens three times. And um, that's an astrological thing. We all might have noticed that when bad things or when a thing seems to happen, it always seems to happen three times. And that happens usually because of a retrograde planet. The planet passes through your chart and makes the first instance of the thing happen. And then when the planet goes retrograde, it passes over that area of your chart again, activating that theme one more time. And then when the planet is finally going forward after its retrograde is complete, it hits your chart one more time. And this is a great thing to talk about because we're having Mercury retrograde right now.
0: Right now.
1: So, something that may have happened in the last week or two, I, I haven't looked at what Mercury has done lately, is probably going to be coming back in the next week. And then it's going to come back one more time a little bit before November. And so your listeners might experience that happening. So the that retrograde theme is kind of a theme that ha- in the things that occur in the book. There's also this theme of annual perfections, which is another astrological technique. I encourage your, your listeners to either pick up an astrology chart or visualize in your head like a pie that's cut into 12. Sections. That's your astrology chart. Each one of those 12 sections represents a theme in your life. And according to the principle of annual perfections, each year in your life is represented by a slice of that little pie. And so it just keeps on going around. Each slice of that pie gets triggered every year. And so when you are 17, you are going through what's called a six house year, which if you have a poorly afflicted sixth house, health problems are something that's going to come up. It's also called the house of bad fortune. So you might just experience like bad things happening over and over again, especially if there's a retrograde happening. And so Gunnar, really one of the most important characters in the book, is 17 and he's going through a sixth house year, uh, which is the house of bad fortune. So he's dealing with health problems and just, it seems like bad luck just keeps on happening over and over again for him. Then his boyfriend Erland is going through a seventh house year and seventh house is something, again, everyone who's 18 Goes through a seventh house year where relationships are the main theme that happens for you that year, how you relate to others. And so for Erland, uh, his relationship is the most important thing that he's dealing with in the book. And then Asta is 19 and she is in an eighth house year, and the eighth house deals with death, taxes, other people's money, other people's resources, and it's also like sexuality. And so she is finding her sexuality. In her case, she's asexual. And so she's she has a moment where she experiments with heterosexuality. And then she's like,
0: nah, no, no. no. <laughs> I love there's this one line and I'm probably going to butcher it. I'm sorry, but she's sort of thinking through and she's like, I don't want to give too much away, but she's a little like hinky about getting married. And she's like, could I just have instead of my husband, could I just have a something else, you know, just a something else that I get to be married to instead of a wife that bears children or whatever. I loved that because the way she said it, I mean, if I were this personality that I am right now in that time period, I would be the same way. I would be like, Oh God, please do not sell me off to some weird dude named Nils who probably sucks. I don't know yet. I haven't gotten to the second chapter or, or whenever we get to meet Nils
1: third chapter yeah nils is you'll you'll meet him he's the standard guy he's a nice guy but he's nice quote, quote unquote. He, yeah he thinks he's so enlightened like what he tells asta is he tells her aren't you grateful that i overlook your unusual appearance and the fact that you're deaf in one ear mm-hmm. and she's like i guess i should feel grateful for that but something about that makes me not feel great. Something about him makes me not feel great. She kind of has to work on deprogramming herself from the heteropatriarchy, which is hard. Even in this present day, it's hard to deprogram yourself from the heteropatriarchy. Even, you know, we all think of ourselves as so woke right now.
0: Yeah, I'm queer. My parents are queer. And I still have to actively work every single day on dismantling my relationship with the patriarchy. And I mean that as a current relationship, because it's something that I can't completely sever myself from. Unfortunately, I had such a problem
1: calling myself queer. And I don't know why that is part of me. I've always said, Oh, I hate labels, because hetero people don't like have to go around labeling themselves.
0: (laughs) I'm straight. Nice to meet you. (laughs)
1: Yeah, And, And really, if you think about it, Queerness, I think, is the norm, and I think hetero, pure cis heteroness is probably an anomaly because I think everyone falls somewhere on the spectrum. Can you really 100% say that, yes, I am cis and I completely conform to everything that is feminine or masculine that I easily fit into these two little columns. And can you like really say you are exclusively only attracted to the opposite sex? Mm -hmm. I find it really hard to believe that anyone could actually like say
0: that. I agree. I think it's much more nuanced than we think it is. And I think that monogamy is not our natural state also. I just think everything has to be so binary in, the, in the, the way we are right now. That's how this system works. And I don't think that's actually how our spirits are. I don't think well, we're yeah. binary at all.
1: Especially when you learn astrology. You see, I mean, there's feminine planets and masculine planets, but then they go into certain signs and then Venus is masculine when she's in Taurus and Mercury is the non-binary planet. Mercury is neither male nor female. The planets can change their gender, and there's even a planet that's genderless. So, and then you have in your charts, some people have very masculine charts, some people have very feminine charts, some people have charts that are equal masculine and feminine. The big thing is prior to Western imperialism and white people destroying everything, (laughs) there were tons of indigenous cultures that celebrated diversity in gender and sexual expression, and people. Who did kind of go between different genders. And really, genders weren't labeled in the way that they were prior to the spread of Western imperialism. So it really is this whole thing of the last couple hundred years where this gender binary has been put on everyone. It's a recent development. It's like a white supremacist development, it's not real. And we're yeah. trying to dismantle it. And I think maybe we will, everyone who is born. Pluto and Scorpio is going to be dismantling that.
0: Oh, good. I have to find out if my Pluto's in Scorpio. I think yours is probably, yeah, your, your
1: Pluto is probably definitely in Scorpio. Oh,
0: I have to find your out a, now. It's a,
1: like a generational thing.
0: Got it, okay. The
1: Gen Zs tend to be Pluto and Scorpio, Pluto and Sagittarius people.
0: I do really believe, and I, I continue to say this on the podcast, that Gen Z is going to save our asses from a number of horrible situations that we've got ourselves in. And I think they have a really unique way of looking at things generally speaking, of course. I think just looking at the astrology of Gen Z,
1: I think they are going to be the generation that destroys capitalism in our yeah. lifetime. Here, here. Because they have that that Uranus Neptune conjunction in Capricorn. Capricorn is the sign that deals with the patriarchy and capitalism, and everyone who's Gen Z is going to be having these these Pluto transits to their Neptune and their um, Uranus, and then they're going to have these Saturn and Jupiter transits coming up to those planets. And I think when they come of age, which they are now, I think it's the beginning of the end for capitalism.
0: Yeah, agreed. And your book, I love at the beginning you write a little note and you just let people know this is not going to be a tragic queer story like tragic queer gen z story and i really really like that you did that because as a queer female identifying person i have very few stories that i get to see on screen especially cuz i work in i work in the entertainment industry I don't get to see myself very often. And when I do get to see myself, it is always a horrible tragedy. Everybody dies or, you know, it's just like this terrible heartbreak or, you know, all, all, all. And then there's none that are just like these happy love stories, which straight people have, I want to say millions. It's probably hundreds of thousands, but how many rom-coms that like end happily and are just kind of fluff pieces not saying that this is a fluff piece but it it you're letting the readers know in the beginning this has got some rough parts in it i'll warn you about that there's a trigger warning but overall i want you to know that this is gonna end well for these characters
1: yeah, I think young adult lit- literature is getting really good in the queer representation and the happy ending representation. So that is great. But I'm a very sensitive person. I like to know what I'm getting before I read because I have <laughs> picked up many a book where I'm like, oh, I wish I hadn't read this because I'm kind of traumatized. Right <laughs> yeah. <now." laughs> and I can't unread it.
0: <laughs> you know? Yeah.
1: So I like being told ahead of time. That it's going to be okay, you know. I do want to warn people, Gunnar goes through some hard stuff, he's having a six house year that's that's rough. But the thing is, his friends are with him all the way, so they do triumph in that in their love for each
0: other. Spoiler alert. So, do you think that you had a Norwegian past life? I haven't really done
1: much work into past life stuff, although I'm really, really into it. I'm totally into like the idea of past life stuff. I know there's a way in astrology that you can kind of look at what might have been past life stuff, but I haven't really done much research into that area.
0: So tell me more about your book, The Reckless Kind.
1: So The Reckless Kind comes out November 2nd from Soho Teen. It's about three queer teens in 1904 Scandinavia and a little fictional Scandinavian country. And they set out to basically defy the expectations of their rural village in every possible way. They leave their families, they live on their own. And in order to figure out a way to make their living work, they have to train a wild filly for the annual horse race so that they can win the prize money. They ultimately have to defeat the patriarch of the town who is wanting to stop at nothing to kind of humiliate them and make things extremely difficult for them.
0: Like I said, I'm not that far into the book yet. I'm only a chapter in, but I already can't stand that guy, the patriarch. (laughs) He just seems like a total douche nozzle. So I'm excited to see them rebel against him and how that unfolds.
1: The reckless kind kind of has double meanings. One, the kids themselves are reckless. They're reckless in following their own hearts and following what's true to them. The evil patriarch, the alderman, he is reckless in a way that he doesn't give a shit about other people. And he just wants to do his thing the way that he wants it and recklessly doesn't care about who it affects or who it injures or what animals are injured in the process
0: I love the name and I think it's great that it encompasses both sides. It's like the reckless, the good reckless, like the good trouble, you know, and then the reckless of, I don't know, narcissism and the patriarchy. um,
1: Reckless narcissism. Reckless
0: narcissism. Yeah. That's what he seems like to me from the game. That's a great way to describe him. Here he comes. Yeah. But it's always good. It's always fun to hate on the reckless narcissist archetype. We love that when we read or when we watch movies. They're the ones that we're like, oh, I can't wait till he gets what's coming to him. You know, like yeah, you're just dying.
1: I have have a hard time writing villains. Gonna straight up admit. I know some people love writing villains. It's really hard for me, so I had to kind of research, just that that mindset that like, you know, using religion to espouse your point of view and <laughs> it's like, like just trying to like understand like what why would someone say these things yeah what's the mindset here
0: I love that you had, and I get it. A lot of people have a really hard time writing villains and myself included. They're, they're difficult, but I think it's so funny that you're like, oh, I have to research like why someone would ever think to do that. And I think that's hilarious because it's like, it wouldn't even cross your mind to think that way. So you really have to step out of yourself. It's almost like an acting exercise, actually.
1: Yeah. That's how so much of writing is that way. But do you ever notice like evil people in real life? You're like, how do you have the energy? To be (laughs) so terrible. (laughs) Yes. This is totally my Libra rising stellium in Libra speaking. But I'm like, it's so much easier to just default to nice. And just, you know, even when it doesn't serve me at all, just I'm just going to be nice because it's easy. People who like default to let me be manipulative and get my way. How? How? The thinking that goes involved in there.
0: It's <laughs> exhausting. It's exhausting. And
1: and to then not feel like the other person's discomfort. That's the other thing that I can't get. You know, the other person is uncomfortable. And so, you, you know, you kind of navigate that thing. Straight up evil people don't even seem to be aware of what the other person is feeling and the awkwardness of the situation. And they'll just keep on going. Yeah, with
0: their evilness it's the low to no emotional inte- intelligence yeah. and then the low to no empathy which is the hardest for people like us i'm yeah. guessing to grasp you don't have any empathy. you're it's just this like very self-absorbed myopic sort of thing and then you're also not picking up on any emotional or social cues and so like you said i it's like you actually have to train yourself to think that way like you have yeah. to get into that character's head and pretend and pretend and almost eat it digest it like actors yeah. would okay now I'm gonna be this evil patriarch of this village and it's something I struggle with so
1: I'm still yeah. I'm writing a work in progress right now that's that there's two villains I, I am really struggling getting into that
0: model. yeah Is this going to be a one-off book or do you think it'll be a series?
1: I would love it to be a series. I have so many ideas for the next book. That, you know, depends on if this book sells, if this book does well, and then, you know, what happens with the publisher and all of that. I do have, because right now this book is all Asta and Erlen's point of view. Asta is our asexual She has some facial disfigurement and she's she's hard of hearing and she's awesome. She is my favorite character ever. And she's the main character. And Erland's another point of view. Erland is Gunnar's boyfriend and he's wealthy and he's very sweet. He's very kind of a himbo so it's dual point of view between them them becoming closer and the braiding of this queer platonic triad kind of coming together i would love to write a book that is 100 gunner's point of view or gunner and and his brother fred i think they would be really interesting especially gunner is dealing with chronic pain that's a theme in the book and i would i would love to explore uh Once he's fully accepted, because he has a lot of doubts about if Erland truly loves him and he feels like he doesn't deserve love and all of that. But once that he's fully established that and he's willing to accept that Erland loves him and their relationship is cemented, I would love to explore his chronic pain and navigating that in this new life
0: with Erland. I'm curious about Fred, too, and, and learning a little bit more about him, the brother.
1: Yeah, Fred deals with something I deal with, which is post-concussions syndrome. And so Fred kind of has the weight of the family's farm on his shoulders. And he's only 15 and he's making his living as a farrier, which is someone who shoes horses in their village. And he's also dealing with the effects of post-concussions syndrome. So it's really hard for him to remember things and speaking to is also something that's really hard. So that's kind of, it, it would be really great. To, that's something that he deals with throughout the book.
0: Right. How did you, if you care to share, I don't, I mean, oh, if you yeah. feel comfortable, how did you get that syndrome? Like you had a horrible concussion or. Yeah, I had several. I had,
1: so I ride horses and I have, I love my horse that I adopted. She was a rescue and she was, Very abused. She was used for the rodeo and very fearful of people. So it took a long time for us to build trust and everything, but she still does have that little bit of a feral side and she's very reactive. And so I have sometimes let my guard down a little bit. And we had a few accidents a few years ago where. I fell off or was bucked off, not the horse's fault at all, completely 100% my fault. But, you know, it's it's what happens when when you're dealing with an animal that's kind of traumatized and then, you know, you, you get a little bit too relaxed around them and then they get scared of something or they get upset about something or they're just frisky and letting their spirits out. Falling off is a thing that happens. So I had a couple of concussions. And I broke my back once too, and also my finger doesn't go straight anymore. Oh yeah, <laughs> um,
0: it's a little crooked, so, listeners. So. so yeah.
1: So i i had a I had a period in my life where I was going get, having a lot of six house problems, uh, which is the house of bad fortune. And so I had a lot of accidents. And actually, I wrote this book during that period in my life where I was dealing with health and also a lot of accidents. And so that shows up in the book. Gunner with his with his chronic pain issues and Fred with his post-concussion issues, definitely things that I dealt with.
0: Yeah, I think that's a common theme for artists in general, writers, actors, to infuse what they're going through physically or mentally or emotionally into their work, because I think that's therapeutic, right? It's, it's yeah. therapeutic to see yourself, to even exaggerate maybe what you're going through to make, flesh out those characters and give them life in a different way than you live your, your everyday life with that disorder or disease or, or mental yeah. illness, whatever. What's
1: interesting is like, for me personally, if I look at like all my friends, all my friends have issues, like are disabled in some way whether it's physical injuries or invisible disabilities, everyone I know deals with them. But when you look at fiction or media, do you see disability represented Mm -hmm. at all? No, like everyone is fully abled. And then when disability is represented, it's like this tragic thing or it's like this thing to overcome some critique. I got when I was when this book was out on submission was it seems like everyone is disabled. Well, that's how real life is, especially in the 1900s.
0: Yeah.
1: 100s when there wasn't much doctor, medicine care out there. You know, if someone broke their arm, chances are it got amputated and if someone had many of the things that people have, it went untreated and That's part of life. And so I wish I would, I wish we could see more disability representation and not just disability representation, but the idea of multiple disabilities, because I personally, I'm hard of hearing. I uh, have post-concussion syndrome. I have a spinal injury and am anxious being totally anxious being. So we all have multiple, many of us have multiple disabilities. And I, I, I think it's pretty rare to find someone who's not disabled in any way.
0: Honestly, I had not thought about it that way. I have chronic pain. I have a rare disease that's annoying because it's rare. You know, the rare ones are always <laughs> yeah. so annoying. I think I like often sidestep it because of capitalism and because I don't want to identify with it too much. And there's a lot of reasons and they're, yeah. they're all for different underlying reasons than too why I don't don't say anything. But as you were saying that when you said, oh, most of the people or all of the people that I know have some kind of disability. I started going through my friends as well. And when you broaden that definition of disability, you're you're right, pretty much everybody falls mm-hmm. into that. I think we have this like really narrow idea of what quote unquote disability is and we're like, oh, well that's the only thing that that constitutes a disability. And it's mm-hmm. like, well if we broaden that to all the chronic pain syndromes and the concussion syndrome that you have in all of that, almost yeah. everyone has a disability and we include emotional and mental disabilities or disorders, or even just like you said, anxiety, yeah. horrible anxiety or horrible depression or whatever, then yeah. yeah.
1: Capitalism wants us to think that we're all able. Because if we had to address that everyone has different levels of ability and disability, then we would have to change the systems in our society in order to accommodate and be more equitable to everyone. But capitalism and the system that we're under doesn't want to acknowledge that and wants everyone to conform to the system rather than to get our system more equitable for everyone. And that's why owner own your disability, even though I am saying that, but I am also admitting that when I go on job applications, even though, yes, I am hard of hearing and I have these things, I always check, no, I'm not disabled because mm-hmm. I don't want them to count that against me.
0: Right. Exactly. Capitalism. And that's the problem. Yeah. A lot of problems with capitalism. Yeah. <laughs> we could talk a whole, we could do a whole episode on just that. And I say that a lot to my guests, but I want to go back real quick to how you started your craft, so to speak, because when we were on that pre-call, you said, you said, I identify as a witch, a queer wit- witch, right? Uh, yeah. Is that the term? Is that the terminology that you would use? Correct me if I'm wrong. I still have a problem with labels. And why is that? I'm always like,
1: do I want to fit into like this specific label? Do I? Mm -hmm. That's the word that I use kind of in my pitch to you. I like the word pagan because it encompasses so many things. Like it it encompasses astrology. It encompasses witchcraft and also like other forms of divination like tarot. So I will say my labels are fluid, just (laughs) like my gender and sexual identity. I don't like to be conforming, but yeah, maybe if I would ha- force a label queer, pagan, queer witch, Some, somewhere something in there like that, something like that.
0: Yeah. And I feel like the word witch, the word pagan, maybe witch a little bit more is a reckless kind, you know, it's a, it's yeah. a reckless brand of a word because it's, it's antagonistic. It's automatically antagonistic. Uh-huh. People are already like ready to fight you. If you say you're a witch or less so with pagan, because a lot of people who want to fight about that don't know what it is, but which is like this hot word. I think a lot of the people I know who have chosen to use that term, use it a lot just to be reckless, just to be rebellious and be like, F you. So I kind of like that feeling of it. It's kind of like a fiery... Yeah, you are
1: yeah, you're you're actually kind of changing my mind on this because I'm like, oh, I I like it. I like the word witch because it's anti-patriarchy. They tried to burn us. Bitches. (laughs) (laughs) It's powerful. It's like, yes, I do spells in order to affect outcomes. And it's and if it scares people, it does make me happy if I scare you.
0: That's the best thing you've said this whole interview. It, wait, well, how did you say it? It does make me feel good to scare you.
1: It does make me happy if I scare you. That's so funny.
0: I love that. <laughs> Why? That's funny.
1: Because if someone is afraid of someone who is someone who who is identifying with the feminine power. I even hate to say feminine because obviously there are people of all genders who are, who are witches, but it does have a feminine connotation. And if someone is afraid of that, then that's the type of person who I do want to be afraid of me. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Noted. I love that. I agree. Witchcraft, paganism, your practice, all of this, astrology, when did it start for you? And oh. who did somebody inspire it? Like, was there a grandmother or oh, or community yeah. or anything? Where did it start for you?
1: I, I think I was always a weird kid. So I was always into like stuff dealing with ghosts, would definitely consume all the internet content related to the paranormal. When I, I remember when I was at elementary school, like the first... Thing that I would do when I went on the internet was like paranormal activity, UFOs. (laughs) That's what I want. (laughs) I didn't learn about astrology really until high school. I got the only astrology book you'll ever need. And I would kind of flip through that. And I was like, oh, you know, that's when I was like, oh, I identify with my sun sign because I am very much a Virgo. And then in college, I learned how to make a chart. There was an ephemeris and I made a chart. And I also, someone told me about astro.com. So I found out you can go on astro.com and make charts. And I was still very baby-like until a couple years ago. I found Achuta Baba Das and Chris Brennan on YouTube. And that blew my mind. So Chris Brennan is a Hellenistic astrologer. And he wrote uh, Hellenistic Astrology, the, I want to say it's the study of fate and fortune. So yeah. So Chris Brennan has the astrology podcast. I found a Chuta Bhavadas on YouTube and he does just YouTube videos pretty much every day or every other day about astrology. And so for my job, I do a lot of teaching and I do a lot of grading. And so whenever I'm grading, I listen to Chris Brennan or Chuta Bhavadas. And then Spencer Michaud is my main astrologer who I go to for personal consultations. He's a student of Chuta Bhavadas. And between those three, I kind of learned everything I could about Hellenistic astrology and that blew my mind. And so I would say, like, probably 2018 was when I started to go really deep diving into Hellenistic astrology. I also, in 2018, when Uranus entered Taurus, which is my eighth house, I started like calling myself a witch and learning spells and doing spells, and had uh, moved to an area that has a lot of occult shops. And so I started going to the occult shops. And getting supplies from there. And so shout out to Crooked Path Apothecary in Burbank. And Spellbound Sky
0: in Los Angeles. Love them.
1: Spellbound Sky. I love
0: those humans. They're amazing. Yes,
1: I know. And the thing about occult shops is everyone there is so nice. Mm -hmm. Spellbound Sky. I would just bring in friends and I'm like, here, I'm going to show you the store and it's going to like solve your life problems. And those guys would just like somehow gravitate to my friends who are in emotional crises and give them tarot readings and talk about their problems, give them stones. And suddenly everything would be like so much better. So, yeah, I love them.
0: Yeah. If you're in the LA area, both of those places are great. Spellbound Sky, I'm a little bit more partial to. They helped me as well. I had an entity attached to me oh, in wow. February of this year. Not, It wasn't super problematic. They were a relatively nice entity, but I didn't really want to have an entity attached to me either way. Yeah. And they immediately picked up on it. And I had already been having some issues and they, they helped me just So friendly, so I mean, they were just so friendly. They were so polite, and they were so right to the point. Like, here, Mm this will help you. And I never felt like overcharged for candles or anything like that. Mm -hmm. I I just felt like that okay, that's an appropriate price for for what I need. And they're great.
1: I I took my friend in who also has a head injury, and I was like, oh, we need to get you some apophyllite, and couldn't find the apophyllite and they're like, oh, we have some in the back. And they just gave us the apophyllite. And Mm -hmm. they're so I mean I shouldn't be saying that they just go out and give stuff away, but they're they're really nice.
0: They are. They're great. And I I just I feel like I've been to shops where it they people weren't as nice, which is rare. I do think you're right. Most of the time people are 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 more kind than the average person or the average group of people. But every once in a while you get into a shop that's kind of like whoa and these guys are just on the opposite end of that spectrum. So yeah. that's our little plug for a spellbound sky. Spellbound sky. <laughs> so you keep using the term Hellenistic astrology I actually don't know exactly what that means, and okay. I'm sure the listeners don't. What does that mean? <laughs> That's a good, thank you for clarifying.
1: So the Hellenistic period is the period that encompasses the Mediterranean region, and it's a mixture of some of the Egyptian astrological traditions, like Hermes Magistus, with the Greco-Roman type of astrology and You know, the the Egyptian mixed with the Greco-Roman kind of like mixed together to create what we what we call Hellenistic astrology. It's basically like the old school Western European type of astrology that deals with planetary dignities where the planets will be more functional or less functional in certain parts of the sky and where we get a lot of ancient traditions, which really have only come out in translation in the last 20 years or so. Wow. Um, In the 90s, these three guys, three guys named Rob, I know one one guy was really into the classical stuff. Uh, One guy was an astrologer. They all made a point to learn how to translate these ancient texts that had been found by archaeologists and also learned astrology. So they translated these ancient texts and then they were able to uncover all of these ancient traditions like zodiacal releasing and annual perfections and planetary dignities and exaltation and, and why certain planets are exalted at certain degrees and certain signs. So really what we kind of know of as Hellenistic astrology, it goes back you know, thousands of years, but it's only been uncovered pretty much since the 90s. It's really amazing at how precise the results are when you utilize
0: these techniques. That's incredible. I feel like lately I have discovered that it's not been that long that we've known some of these things that they're just being unearthed within the past two, three, four, five decades, you know, and that's just not that much time. It's amazing. And I hope that that continues that this sort of, I feel like we're crossing over from the information age into the wisdom age. I feel like it's a real slow crossing. You know, I really would love to tap into that wisdom, but we're obsessed with information right now. And it's just like the way it goes, Yeah. but it's so important. Some of this information we're getting it's going to be really fertile at some point. It already is some of it Mm -hmm. to transfer to wisdom.
1: And there's a, there's kind of an astrological reason for that. And by the way, um, Mercury retrograde head injury brain has worked again. And and it's Robert Hand, Robert Schmidt and Robert Zoller.
0: Hey, and
1: there's a, there's a website called robertschmidt.com, which has all of his lectures and you can pay a monthly fee and you can get access to a lot of his lectures. He died somewhat recently a couple years ago so that information is his information is really really important that it stays alive so definitely participate in that website if you're at all interested yeah the thing about like all of this stuff being uncovered recently all has to do with that Neptune Uranus conjunction in Capricorn that happened in the 90s um, when a lot of our Gen Z kids were born it also ties into the jupiter saturn conjunctions that are now happening in aquarius so for the last 200 years we've been having jupiter saturn conjunctions in earth signs and only in 2020 did jupiter and saturn now start to make conjunctions in air signs Mm. and so now we are going into a new period where all of that capitalist patriarchy stuff is going to slowly become dismantled and we're going to get back to some of the truth that has been hidden for so long and the reason like a lot of that this ancient wisdom was hidden for so long is because of you know western imperialism using christianity to say this stuff is evil. Astrology is evil. It needs to be hidden. It needs to be burned. That's why a lot of the ancient documents were destroyed.
0: Yeah. A lot of people think that the library of Alexandria was full of this kind of stuff. And I I always say when people ask, like, if you could snap your fingers and have like a secret power, I have a couple, but one of them is to see if the library of Alexandria could be alive again. If we could just go in there and read those books and look at those scrolls and Uh, Yeah.
1: Could you imagine? Because there's so much in astrology that we're like, this does this specific thing and it works every time you use it. But why? Why? And like a lot of the why of stuff is something we have to kind of figure out after the fact. But before then, there was like a lot of documents that we only have pieces of now.
0: Yeah, some old white patriarch, like the the villain in your story was like, burn, burn it all. I know. <laughs> yeah, multiple times throughout history, I'm sure. I asked this question to all of my guests, which is what's the most woo, paranormal, supernatural thing that you've ever experienced? And I know on the pre-call, you mentioned a couple. You have two experiences, and then one of them has some sub stuff that you were going to share possibly.
1: The big one is like when I predicted my roommate's death, which I will say it was during a period in my life where I was not necessarily super into the woo at that time. I was really just focused on on my career. I had just graduated grad school. I was very focused on the specific art that I was making at that time. And I was not spiritual at all, but I was on a fellowship in... Michigan. I had won this thing to go to Michigan for three months and work on my art. So I left behind my two roommates and I had this very, very strong, vivid dream that Eli had died. I remember very, very specific feelings and very specific things I saw. Like I knew he was dead. I did not know how he died. I just knew he was dead in the dream. I saw his toothbrush and I knew he would never brush his teeth again. And like I saw his truck. And I knew he would never drive his truck again. And I saw all his stuff, all his stuff in his room is here. And he's never kind of come back to his room. And something needs to be done about all his stuff. Like these were all like the very vivid feelings and thoughts that I was having. And I woke up in the morning and I was so spooked by this dream that I called. And, and so I told him I had this very vivid dream. He really kind of blew me off. And I also kind of forgot about it after that. And about a month after I returned to Los Angeles, I was at my job uh, about getting ready to come home. And Mike called me and said, you should probably find another place to stay for tonight because Eli was just in a motorcycle accident and he died. And I immediately started crying and bawling and, you know, I, I, I didn't want to go home because I was like really too spooked to see his stuff. So I stayed with a friend. But then the next day after work, when I did go home and I saw all his stuff there, I saw his truck in the backyard. I immediately remembered my dream. And I was like, I dreamt about this very experience of seeing his stuff, of seeing his toothbrush on our sink you know and knowing he would never brush his teeth again and like that really vivid feeling of oh, he is gone forever i did have a a few incidents after that that were also dreams that were premonitions of things that would happen like i i had a dream about a friend i seeing my friend seeing this friend in the hospital and i did kind of text that person. And I said, I saw saw you in the hospital in my dream. And then a few weeks later, he got in an accident. So little things like that. But then for a really long time afterwards, I never had any other further weirdness or any other premonitions like that. That brings us up to date. we suddenly in 2018, I got really into astrology and now like It's amazing because you can now look at the astrology and you can be like, okay, so this specific thing is going to happen. There's this weird thing you go through with, whether it's premonitions or astrology, first, where you tell someone something and they either get really mad at you or they don't believe you. So I have learned to kind of only tell people things if they want to know, but whether they want it to or not, it still happens. A recent case is I was doing uh, reading for a friend and she wanted me to tell her good news, but frankly, there was no good news. It, it, she's in a 12th house a year. It's going to be, it's going to be hard stuff until her next birthday. How, how is this project going to go? And I'm like, it's not going to go good. And she's been, you know, she's getting kind of mad. She's just tell me something good that's going to happen. And I kind of forced something, you know, you'll get help from your friends. That's all I have. I'm sorry. But then later she emailed me apologizing and she's like, Thank you for telling me all the things that you did, because if I hadn't known about astrology, I would have just experienced all these bad things happening to me and thought I must be cursed. I would have thought that it would never end. I would have been in a really dark place. But you specifically told me this bad period is going to be from here to here. I know it's going to end. And so I'm not going to try to do shit during this period. I'm not going to try to do shit until my next birthday because everything is going to be bad. And you can just save yourself so much time if you understand the flow of where the energy is going. And instead of trying to push against things when like the universe seems to be against you, use that time to like a little spring, like a little bouncy ball, squish down, mm-hmm. squish down, and then you'll be ready to spring back up when the astrology is on your side a little mm-hmm. bit more. And I really shouldn't say on your side or against you because the planets aren't against you. It's there's lessons that you have to learn. And sometimes those lessons are about patience and waiting. And sometimes those lessons are about pain. (laughs) It's like sometimes those lessons are about relationships. My advice for people, though, is just like slow down. This Mm -hmm. period is not a period for you to be going out and fighting. It's a period for you to reflect and learn and kind of grow internally before you're ready to go out and defeat the mountain.
0: Yeah. I love that whole thing that you said about not resisting and pushing again and allowing yourself to be more receptive and to kind of go downstream, so to speak, instead of, again, we're bringing it back to capitalism and, and the patriarchy, which is like, you have to be able-bodied because you need to work. Mm-hmm. And you have to be constantly. But it's work for who? It's not work for society.
1: It's work exactly. for the CEOs. Exactly. With the, the 12 CEOs.
0: Whatever, the 12 <laughs> that are making everything. like 30 times more than everybody else. And yeah, yeah. So
1: those 12 people basically want you to believe that everyone is, is able-bodied. And if you're not able-bodied, you are an aberration and you should mm-hmm. feel bad about yourself. But yeah. the truth is yeah, we are a society where we all work together or we should be, but it's that paradigm of helping others has been corrupted by the idea that capitalism, that we have to be working for these people.
0: I just love the idea of using astrology as a way to sort of prepare yourself for certain seasons or cycles Mm -hmm. of energy and like you said just having the knowledge that okay this period's going to suck so hold on to your butt and just yeah. be cool don't try to like you said before launch your project during that time look within there's some lessons here for you to learn and the sooner you look within the probably more quickly you'll learn those lessons so, and the less painful the whole thing will be. Sometimes there's going to be pain, physical pain, mental pain, emotional pain, whatever. Sometimes it'll be there, but you can lessen it, I think, by having a more expansive awareness of what's going on. And that's what astrology does for you, for you specifically and for loads of people, but people aren't using it the way, again, that like very tip of the iceberg of mm-hmm. what we think astrology is, which is, oh, are you a Capricorn? You know, are you... A- <laughs> Are you a Pisces? You're watery, whatever, and that's the end of the story. But it's amazing how much it's affected your life and how you've been able to affect and and help other people with their lives.
1: Astrology lets you talk to the universe. It gives you a language for understanding karma, and karma is not good karma or bad karma. Karma is the manifestations of these archetypes of these uh, and of these themes, and the goal is not to win at capitalism. The goal is to understand ourselves, understand how we operate and understand like our purpose in relationship to to the Tao, understanding how we can flow with the Tao. And that's something my astrologer told me yesterday. I was like, what should I do? Should I do this? Should I do this? Because, you know, I got wrapped (laughs) up in in the capitalism. And he's, instead of looking to the astrology and asking like a better question is, how can I be more in line with the Dow? How can I open myself up to the direction that the universe wants me to go in? And I think that's, yeah, that is a whole lot better. Because I, I admit I do open up the chart and I open up my Charles Schwab brokerage account. <laughs> I trade my stocks according to the astrology, but I do need to remind myself that the purpose of this is not to win at capitalism, and it's to understand the flow of the Tao and get in tune to who we really are as people, because we're all little, little spirit souls represented by our birth charts that tell us things. And then we're working on connecting to the, the greater thing. I actually don't know what is going on out there. You know what I mean?
0: <laughs> yes. Like, like,
1: what, what, is, what are we? What's, what is life? <laughs> I love it.
0: What are we? <laughs> like <laughs> what are the answer like what are we? What? <laughs> oh, I certainly don't have the answer. Yeah. I mean, I'm constantly asking people what they think we are and where we come from. but the best I can come up with is that we came from an energetic sort of everythingness and nothingness, and that everythingness and nothingness wanted to had an initial desire, like the o g desire, which was to perceive itself. And so that generated manifested form, quote unquote, because we're just electrons coming in and out of existence. So that's complicated as well. Molecules, the nucleus is like the dense thing. It gets so complicated, but I think that's the simplest way to think about it. And that we're just the expansive nature of that original desire. And we're just growing and expanding and growing and expanding. And we never die. We just keep doing the same dance. And it's not the same dance. Every time it's different, we're all different aspects of that, that original thing. That's the best I can do with it. Yeah, And I think that applies to aliens and every Bigfoot and ghosts. And I think we're all just manifestations of that original desire to experience everything and to create. What do you think?
1: Yeah yeah that sounds good to me. I mean it seems like <laughs> you know we're all here on this temporary thing and if you're if you're here and you're causing suffering f- for others then stop. I feel like if you're here to, and your your goal is to like alleviate the suffering of others as we're temporarily here and that's probably a good thing. Yeah. And then, <laughs>
0: yes. Thumbs <laughs> right, up. <laughs>
1: you know, good job. If you are a, a being who is causing harm for others then your goal is to probably stop doing that <laughs> like, <laughs> Let's hope. A place where you 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 aren't causing harm and suffering for others so that's that's as good as i can get and yeah. i think astrology diminishes suffering because it shows you that the difficulty that you're having is part of a cycle that will end at this specific time and then when you are going through a good subjectively positive experience. That too is going to end. So you are staying centered on the wheel of fortune. When you look at the charts, you look at the astrology, you go, okay, good period. It'll last from here to here. Bad period will last from here to here. So I don't have to constantly be, oh no, when is it going to be bad again? When is it going to be good again? Oh no, oh no, oh no. You stay centered on the wheel of fortune and
0: carry on. It just popped into my head, but have you ever read a birth chart or pulled a birth chart for someone like Jeffrey Dahmer or Ted Bundy? Yes, totally into that. Yeah. It's really interesting. Like
1: how in like many serial killers, Venus tends to be kind of a prominent planet for them. Hmm. And Venus, which is like the planet of harmony and, and all of that you would think, Oh, wow. It's weird that they would have like a prominent Venus, but often that Venus is is afflicted somehow is in a mm-hmm. in a sign that it doesn't function well in like like Venus and Scorpio is Venus isn't happy there, Venus and Virgo, Venus isn't happy there. I've noticed a lot too in serial killers and terrible people. The ascendant ruler is in the eighth house, which is the house of death. So it's like these these murderers, you know, want to connect with death. They want to connect to this period of ending. I also noticed, interestingly, a lot of murderers have their ascendant ruler in the third house. Mm. And the third house um, deals with your community, but it also kind of deals with, it's called the house of the goddess. And I I noticed this in like serial killers who almost want to become part of their victim. And their victim is usually like a woman. So it's like, they want to become one with, in a way, like the goddess through Mm of a material manifestation of the goddess. There's definitely some sort of symbolism there with murders and serial killers. I would actually, I was thinking, I would love to do a podcast called The Astrology of Terrible Things. Mm -hmm. I was a little bit worried about people thinking I'm a terrible person and hating me for doing that. That's my 12th house son
0: speaking. I was just gonna say.
1: I have this really good idea, but I'm really afraid that people will hate me for it. But like, I would love to do a podcast on the astrology of like the Challenger disaster and the astrology of certain serial killers. And
0: you should do it. I would listen to that podcast. And you could say from the beginning in your trailer, you know, something like I, I do because of my son is in the 12th house. Like I care what people think. And that's what stopped me from making this podcast for so long. But I think people would be really interested in it. So here it is. I was legit.
1: Triggered and traumatized by someone attacking me for my interest in astrology. Somewhat recently, you remember when Nadia Rivera died? I was really sad. Sorry, Naya Rivera, right? I think it's Naya, yeah. Yeah, Naya Rivera. So it was really, really sad and awful. I instantly pulled up the chart before her body was found to try and find out what happened. Mm -hmm. And it seemed like in the chart, it seemed like there was a head injury. And she was also going through some eighth house, which is the house of death transits. And I'm like, Mars was her time Lord. I'm like, okay, this does not look good. I made a little video about it for my Facebook friends. I'm like, this is what I'm thinking happened according to astrology. And I got someone who made a comment that said, I don't know how we became friends, but if you think that this is at all appropriate or correct, I don't want to know you. And she unfriended me. Hmm. And that was so triggering for me. I never, mm-hmm. I, I don't think I did any astrology videos after that yeah. or like public consumption other than just one-on-one with friends. That hurt me.
0: Yeah, <laughs> no I way. get it. That would, yeah. that would really rock me to my core as well. And well, you definitely have to do trigger warnings, but you could also do maybe something like that, like do it years, years, years after it happens, you know, Yeah. Or, the challenger I feel like would be safe now, you know, it's like, Oh, well, let's look back and see what was happening. And, but that was really hot at that time. And maybe it was just people's emotions were running too high for that, Mm -hmm. but I'm not pressuring you certainly, but if it is a good idea and if you ever did it, let me know, I'll help you out. Okay, cool. I really appreciate it. I just want to ask you one more thing before we kind of wrap up and that's what advice do you have for baby witches or baby practitioners, pagans, just based off of your experience?
1: I would say instead of trying to work on understanding rather than manifesting, I still struggle with this. I used to be trying to always get stuff with magic and magic does not want, magic isn't here to help you win at capitalism. Like we said earlier, magic is here to help you understand the cycles of existence and understand who who you really are as a person. So use this to understand who you really are as a person. So some questions that you can ask of the universe when you're doing your ritual, or when you're pulling your tarot cards, when you're looking at the astrology is, who am I really? And what is my purpose here? Help me get in alignment with my purpose, help me get in alignment with how the Tao is flowing through me, rather than doing the spell to get the job offer or to get the money or to get the, the thing that you or the relationship you want. Because if you're doing spells to get the job or the money or the relationship or whatever, the job is going to end, the relationship is going to end, the money is going to leave because that's the cycle of things. Things will come into existence, things will leave, and you're still going to not be happy.
0: <laughs>
1: so, mm-hmm. so um, or, you know, you can also use magic to help other people don't make it about yourself. Use magic to help other people. Do spells to put out wildfires. Use spells to dismantle capitalism, but don't use spells to try and win at capitalism.
0: Yeah, I love that. I think that's really uncommon too for practitioners, especially those who practice witchcraft, because when you go to are called stores a lot. It's, Oh, wear this oil and you'll get the job or where, you know, Mm -hmm. spray this oil three times and turn around quickly. And then you'll get, you know, money coming into you in all different ways. And I think you can use those, but through the lens that you're suggesting, which is Mm -hmm. I'm going to prioritize knowing myself and being in alignment with the highest version of myself that I can access before I bring in those secondary aspects of the spells. They shouldn't be the primary aspect mm-hmm. of those spells. Yeah, and I think a lot of time we just jump into a spell and we're like, "I'm going to get a boyfriend," you know? <laughs> and it's like, well, maybe if you tuned into you and and why do you want a boyfriend so much, and what is it? Get into what's going on with you and where you are. Are you happy? Are you happy being alone? If you're not, why? tapping into that before you're like, let's do a love spell or whatever.
1: Yeah, that actually gets into something called planetary charity, which is kind of a medieval astrological thing where if you are dealing with a difficulty, for instance, I have a friend who's dealing with six house health problems and Mars problems. So in order to help her Mars problems, she donates $5 on a Tuesday to a person who is Mars-like, like a veteran, because Mars deals with warriors. So donating to the the children that that planet likes, like Saturn is uh, the planet that rules homeless people, people without homes. So if you are having Saturn problems on a Saturday, donate $9 to a homeless person, because mm. nine is the number of Saturn. If you're having moon problems, I think moon is four, I forget what the the number is, but donate on a Monday to mothers because m- the moon rules mothers. So that's an example of solving your problem by
0: helping others. What's that called again? Planetary charity. Mm, this is so interesting. I have yeah, never heard of so many different aspects of astrology that I just did not. I just didn't have access to.
1: Yeah. Yeah, there's so many things, but it I but it that. really does work. So far, not going I told my friend she's having difficult things all the way till October 30th. So, she's doing the donate to a veterans every Tuesday and mm-hmm. so far, fingers crossed, nothing bad has happened so far.
0: Doing that is sort of balancing out what's going on with her because of the Mars, right?
1: Yeah, a planet will manifest in all sorts of ways. right? It can it can manifest in a positive way and it can manifest in a negative way. So for people born the, during the daytime, Mars tends to be very negative. And so Mars negative causes things like injuries, health issues, aggressive people attacking you, fights with others. But if you can turn that Mars issue around and make it more positive in that you're donating to something that Mars likes, like veterans, then you can offset that difficulty that Mars might bring if the energy isn't allowed to move in that
0: more positive direction. Carly was kind enough to offer me a free astrological reading, and it was insane how accurate this reading was. It's really kind of magic how there's so much information in our birth charts. It was like she was reading a book about my past, present, and future, just based off of planetary alignment. You can also book an Astro Reading with Carly. I highly recommend it. For a 90-minute whole birth chart full reading, she charges $135. And let me tell you, it's worth every penny. She answers all of your questions. If you want to go on like a side stream because you have some random other questions that aren't necessarily what she starts with, she'll absolutely answer those for you. If you have specific dates that you want to know about, she'll answer those questions for you. Like I said, it's totally worth it. She also works with Tarot and offers three card readings for $15, which is an incredible price. I have to say I might be up her butt forever now when it comes to figuring out the best date and time to do literally anything in my life. A lot of times I get to have a reading with my guests. We do some kind of trade or discount or sometimes I even do pay the full rate just so I can tell you, the listeners... How that experience was. And in this case, I cannot recommend Carly more. She's really great at what she does and she's learned from amazing teachers. You can tell, you really can. And I sure hope she's right about the age of Aquarius and the fall of capitalism. I am here for that. I believe we need something better than what we have right now, it just is not working. Again, you can purchase The Reckless Kind wherever books are sold on November 2nd, but I really encourage you to pre-order it from Chevalier's Books so you can get a signed copy. It really is an excellent book. If you're in the LA area, do check out Spellbound Sky. It's apparently Carly and I's favorite witchy store in LA. Those people in there are patient and thorough and safe when it comes to practicing magic, and their products are really high quality. All of that information and more will be in the show notes for you per usual. Okay, y'all, I will leave you on this new moon with one of my favorite mantras for this time. And I just repeat it out loud or in my head three times to help manifest what's coming in the future. And that is, the witches are coming. The witches are coming. The witches are coming. Okay, bye! Thank you for following The Woo with me today. If you love what you heard, please make sure to subscribe to Follow The Woo wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're feeling particularly stoked about this show, please leave a review and or rating. You can also support this podcast by becoming a member of The Order of Woo, where you'll get community access and loads of extra goodies exclusively on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash follow the woo. The Order of Woo patrons bolster this podcast and community and allow for the creation of more content, products, services, and events over time. Every little bit helps, and I'm so grateful for the patrons who have joined the order already. If you've experienced something magical, mystical, or just downright weird and want to discuss it, or if you're interested in sharing your expertise, or if you want me to research a Woo topic with you or for you, please email me at followthewoo at gmail.com. Join me next week for another woo topic. And remember, tell the truth, be nice to each other, and if it feels right, follow the